Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable Price point comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. You know, my reporting has shown that Canada has zero national security posture, and it's why China and India treat us with disregard I've heard directly from Indian officials and intelligence people that they see Canada, especially under Justin Trudeau, as beneath contempt. Beneath contempt. Not the world's conscience. Not America, but without all the bad stuff. Not blue helmets, not peacekeepers, not problem solvers. Just a joke. Less than a joke, I guess, if we're not even worthy of contempt. That's how reporter Sam Cooper put it in describing just how far our nation has fallen on the global stage, at least in the eyes of his sources, members of India's government and intelligence community. Of course, they would say that, right? Our prime minister did just recently accuse their government of murder, of assassinating a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. Those were strong words from Trudeau. Shockingly strong, actually. But the thing is, he didn't back them up with any evidence. And he did not have the clout to inspire other nations, namely the United States, to rally behind us. I mean, that was over two months ago. And now that the dust has settled, it really does look like as bold as our prime minister was in that speech, Nothing that he said has resulted in, in meaningful action or consequences for India. 
It's looking like the guy was all bark and no bite. And it's been over a year since China's president brazenly humiliated Trudeau at the G20 in an incident which was caught on camera and broadcast to the world. Being a joke to bigger nations has consequences for Canadians. If the world's bullies know that they can set up police stations right here in Canada to spy on and harass Canadian citizens on behalf of their foreign governments, if they can arrest our citizens when we travel abroad in order to use us as human bargaining chips for hostage diplomacy, if they can launder their money here, if they can punish Canadians by denying us visas, if they can send assassins here to kill Canadian citizens, all without consequence, if they can interfere with our elections, then yeah, being a joke matters for all of us. The world is noticing our decline in stature. A recent feature in the Financial Times described in excruciating detail how geopolitics has caught up with Canada, how we can no longer rely on cover from America from the harsh realities of a changing world. And our government seems to agree. Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie recently said, the tectonic plates of the world order are shifting. Our location on the globe, surrounded by three oceans, can no longer be relied upon to protect us. Well, one reporter has been standing at the fulcrum of these developments. You heard him a minute ago. Sam Cooper famously, or infamously, broke the news of Chinese interference in Canadian elections when he was reporting for Global News, sharing revelations that were leaked to him by confidential sources within our intelligence service, CSIS, all about how Canada has been allegedly messed with for decades by foreign nations. Sam has since left Global and set up shop independently under the name The Bureau, where he focuses on foreign interference and just foreign interference, as it continues to hold space as the biggest evolving Canadian news story. And the stories just keep coming. In recent weeks, we have learned new allegations about the two Michaels that challenge the official government narrative about these two Canadians detained in 2018 and held for over a thousand days in apparent response and retribution to the Meng Wanzhou case. And we have learned shocking revelations about another assassination attempt, once again, allegedly by India's government on North American soil. That shocker had the opposite effect, lending credibility to our government's claims. It is all a complicated, murky, and disturbing soup. And I can't promise you that you're going to leave this episode with everything cleared up. But the conversation I'm about to have with Sam Cooper, it's going to take you deep into the mess and show you things that I promise you, you do not know about yet. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Kemp Edmonds, Jordan Teichgrab, Michael Patterson, Jack Jackowitz, Jonathan Ben, Robin George, Finlay Hahn, and Scott. I'm Scott, a stay-at-home dad and aspiring homesteader from Niverville, Manitoba, just outside Winnipeg. I support Canada Land because it never shies away from the nuance and complexity inherent in the world around us. 
Political messaging is too often simplistic to the point of deceitfulness, and our journalism too often tolerant of this trend. Thanks, Jesse, and the whole Canada Land team for your commitment to questioning the narratives we're given. I seldom feel like a better, more informed, and more compassionate citizen than when I engage with your shows. There's a lot of wild stuff happening on your beat, and I think maybe we should just go through these recent news developments and then try to figure out what they mean and what they might have to do with each other. Does that sound good to you? That's good, yeah. All right. I think people will remember this shocking announcement from the prime minister that uh, India maybe killed a guy in Canada. Today I'm rising to inform the House of an extremely serious matter. Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijar. And we all said, okay, that's wild. What more can you tell us about that? And uh, I think that was about it. There have been some progressions on that story in recent days. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, what we've learned in the last few days is that the the U.S. government says that they stopped, allegedly, uh, an India extraterritorial covert effort to target a, a Sikh activist in a deadly way in the United States. And so this is very relevant to the allegations in Canada. We have many people from the Sikh community that in their own way are, are advocating for what, what they think should happen in the state of India. And uh, we learned from our prime minister that allegedly India had targeted one of these people in Vancouver. And so the United States uh, has said they stopped an effort involving India to target a similar Sikh activist uh, on U.S. soil. I mean, it's all there in the indictment. There's this Indian government official who allegedly recruited a guy, hired this guy named Gupta to in turn hire a hitman for $15,000 to carry out a murder. And it turns out that the hitman who the guy went to was an undercover DEA agent, okay? And uh, the Washington Post reports that uh, the guy they were trying to kill was Gurpatwant Singh Panin, who is a uh, Khalistani figure, a general counsel for the New York-based Sikh activist group. And the connection to Canada, I read, (laughs) is direct. Apparently, in the back and forth between these characters, this guy Gupta, who was trying to get this guy killed, was sent a picture of Nijar, the guy who was killed here. And then he sent his hitman, a supposed hitman, actually an undercover DEA agent, a message saying, oh, we have so many targets. Here's one of them. And so there's mounting evidence, the Intercept tells us, that that India is running a transnational targeted killing program against dissidents. And that's allegedly what happened here in Canada. We don't know the details. And in the States, there's actually legal recourse and we know a lot about it. Is that the story as you understand it? That's the story as I understand it. Our prime minister stood and said Canada had credible intelligence that Nijar was targeted. And yet uh, there was the insinuation or inference that this came from uh, an ally this intelligence. And so now when we put that together, of course, the ally would be someone in the CIA or the National Security Agency. 
in the States, which has almost the eye of Sauron-like visibility on communications around the world. Furthermore, yes, uh, the DEA, the FBI have all kinds of undercover counterintelligence operatives, agents within organized crime networks around the world that can gather the type of intelligence put in that indictment. So although I haven't seen the evidence, I agree it's totally consistent that the U.S. discovered what was going on and it had a direct connection to Canada. I mean, to compare the two situations and to, you know, put this in context of what you've been reporting, back in September, before we knew about this American plot, you reported that CSIS here in Canada in 2017 attempted a major intervention to shut down a rapidly growing Indian intelligence network in Vancouver. They, they knew this was happening, that uh, the Indian government had some kind of intelligence network that was monitoring and targeting people in the Sikh community in Canada. Yes, I obtained over the past uh, while uh, something from our National Security Intelligence Panel of Parliamentarians. It's a bipartisan panel that reviews uh, deep collections of intelligence that are made for and submitted to our prime minister. And so they did a big study on how uh, foreign interference, specifically from uh, most prominently China, Russia, and India, is deeply harming Canada's communities and that our government hasn't acted with reforms. So the takeaway I had, I, like many, was shocked when our prime minister stood and said India could have been involved in that assassination of Nijar in Vancouver, because one of the most important case studies in this NISCOP document says that, as you say, CSIS was shut down. They were blocked because Global Affairs Canada had uh, big plans for the prime minister to travel to India in 2018. And they thought that confronting Indian diplomats on their interference in Vancouver, also uh, Ontario, Ottawa, would uh, sideline or uh, off track the prime minister's political objectives for that visit to India. And furthermore, the government overall values trade with China and India over confronting those nations over their interference in our societies. So that was that was a scoop because it was explaining, hey, Prime Minister, you're standing up and saying there's a problem here, but your government knew about it and did nothing about it, essentially. When I say knew about it, did they know that assassination or targeting is happening? No, they knew that deep uh, covert activity targeting Sikh activists in Canada was occurring. Where does this leave our relationship with India? And if India was playing these games in both countries, in Canada, it feels like the relationship is just torched. Uh, I guess they're processing visas again for the many, many Canadians of Indian descent who need to go back and forth. But we're not in good shape with them. Our prime minister stood up and, and called them out in this very public way. In, in, in the U.S., they're still very much working together, even though they were able to thwart an assassination attempt like this. Yeah, there's two things that, that pop up. I mean, first of all, the way the prime minister stood up, <laughs> let's review the facts here. In, in the United States, they already have a, a sealed indictment ready to come out with the facts. They've done their investigation. Beyond that, they have the capacity to investigate and prosecute these crimes in the United States and protect their citizens. The prime minister, apparently for, you know, bald-faced political reasons, gets up, maybe he was having a bad week, he probably was, and uh, and makes it look like Canada is taking this very seriously or he's going to do something. Based on what I know about our lack of capacity on foreign interference, it's open games in Canada for hostile states. 
I would be a little bit, you know, surprised if Canada could ever, you know, get to the stage uh, where they could charge uh, someone in Canada for that crime. That's what I take away from what you asked. And beyond that, I mean, look, China and India do not take Canada seriously. There are good reasons. Look, we're a relatively small nation in terms of economy, and we have very little you know, recourse with these nations when they want to push someone around. I think you brought up a, a third point of comparison, which is even though this got as much profile as it could possibly get in Canada with the prime minister himself calling it out, we have no details about it, and there have been no arrests. In the States, Biden is able to maintain a cordial relationship with India as a country, but their justice system is in action and able to do something about it. I mean, it, it really does seem like um, an illustration of a certain impotence when the prime minister is saying that they came here and murdered somebody, but we haven't arrested anybody about it. I mean, obviously, it is possible to infiltrate these networks, as, as America has proven here. There's two things. For one, uh, India must take the United States seriously as as sort of the leading power in the world. Everyone knows that, that when they say something, they can back it up to make this simple. On the other hand, when Canada says something, especially under this current government, when they say something geopolitically, people start to laugh. We're talking about Nijar here. Uh, from early on, there was some skepticism over whether, you know, uh, it, it really could be India or how could uh, the prime minister possibly know? Was this, you know, an organized crime sort of fight? It's not an Indian hitman that was flown in with a government, you know, pass and did this. It's someone that would be in a network that involves organized crime and quite possibly as the U.S. Uh, case indicates, there are ties to uh, intelligence at some level. All right, let's talk about the other major revelation that came out on your beat in recent weeks. And this one came, I think, courtesy. It seems like the two main um, sources of steady scoops when it comes to foreign interference from China are you, your work at the Bureau, and what Bob Fife and Steve Chase are doing at the Globe and Mail. And it was through their work that we learned that the story of the two Michaels is not as squeaky clean and simple as Canadians were led to believe. Can you recap that one for us? Yeah, uh, what they reported, the Michaels, they're not just uh, over in China, just average citizens. What the Globe reported was that uh, Michael Kovrig was involved in sort of a little known outside of the intelligence community almost off the books, uh, Global Affairs Canada sort of effort to collect information from people in China and then report it back uh, to Canada in order to share with the five eyes. You know, Mr. Uh, Spavor, the other Michael, is claiming he got ensnared in this sort of uh, Global Affairs Canada low-level intelligence collection, and this is why he was tossed in jail, and he's pointing the finger at Kovrig as sort of a Canadian spy. But I'm seeing a very sad story of two Canadians. We don't know exactly what they were involved in, maybe an ill-advised uh, global affairs information program. And now we have someone that's uh, doing what I would call damage to Canada's international reputation and posture by, by suing the government of Canada and saying that, you know, we've set up the framework where uh, that got him tossed in jail. And I'm afraid that this is a boon for the Chinese Communist Party. They're all over this story and it's become victim blaming as if, you know, Canada is the wrong party here and not China for tossing our Michaels in jail. 
they're saying that this validates what they were saying from the start, which is that these guys are spies. My understanding of uh, there's a bit of uh, semantic stuff happening here. The position of, of our government is, well, Kovrig wasn't a spy. Yeah, he was doing intelligence gathering for the Five Eyes Intelligence Community internationally on behalf of Canada about what was going on in China. But don't call him a spy because it was overt, not covert. He was assembling information that is sort of readily accessible. There was no subterfuge. He wasn't hiring agents. He wasn't using deception. Spavor is arguing something, allegedly, because this is all through uh, Fife sources. It looks pretty good. No one's denying the stuff. It looks like this is actually accurate stuff. And my understanding of the story is that Spavor is saying, I wasn't just randomly thrown in jail because China was just rounding up Michaels from Canada. I was duped. Kovrig was like a buddy. We'd have a drink. And I didn't know that the guy was actually collecting intelligence on me, which actually sounds a little bit covert to me, however low level it was. Spavor was like, you know, not working for government. He was working in tourism and doing, had some strange access to North Korea and was obviously a person of interest. So Kovrig allegedly, according to the Globe Mail report, is like forming this relationship with him to get him to just talk and talk and talk. And then Kovrig hands that information over to the Five Eyes. China learns about this. And that's what gets Spavor on their list. So both things can be true, that China was playing hostage diplomacy. They were looking for a couple of Canadians to lock up, uh, perhaps, so that they had some bargaining chips to get Meng back. But they didn't just randomly choose two dudes. And uh, Spavor, I don't know, Sam, maybe he is going to be dragging Canada's reputation through the mud, but he spent over a thousand days in prison under horrible circumstances. He might have a legitimate beef if he was duped into being a source of information for Canadian intelligence gathering? What I can say, and and I can confirm with absolute certainty for your uh, listeners, Jesse, is it is 100% plausible. I would say it's proven that China believed these two were either working for Canada or the United States or Britain. In China's mind, these two guys were spies. But what I want to assert is I think the evidence shows Kovrig, certainly, he's involved in a program where he, you know, he he meets interlocutors, as they call them, and he, he tries to get some interesting, you know, context back to Canada. But I'm going to stress again, this is low-level stuff, very low-level. The other thing that's interesting looking back on the case of the two Michaels is that when China wanted to have something in their pocket to use as a wedge to get Meng out of uh, Canadian custody, it was really America that they had a problem with. It was America that was trying to extradite Meng um, and, and was pursuing criminal charges against her. But China didn't imprison Americans. They came after Canadians. What do we make of that? That's right. I mean, the first and very simple point is, again, uh, the United States, you have to respect that nation. One, their economy well, maybe one, their military, <laughs> but their capacity, what do they have? Something like 18, 19 uh, national security or intelligence agencies. They have, as we've said, rule of law. They've got institutions that work. China's economy is like crashing right now because American investors are starting to pull their money out. They could not hit back at the country that was bringing Mun or seeking to bring Mun to trial. You fuck with the people you can afford to fuck with, and they couldn't afford to fuck with America, yeah. right? If, even though 
it was America that led to Meng being in Canadian custody if they had actually just uh, locked up a couple of Americans on on pretty flimsy espionage charges they would be sacrificing a relationship and they would be you know uh, at the time it was Trump they're daring him to do something but if you do it to Canadians you've got your bargaining chip and uh, you know, America could either take that really seriously or they could say, well, it didn't happen to us, which is what Trump did. And then ultimately Biden was the one who was able to uh, arrange for this essentially just a swap. And the, the, the same thing that John McCallum had to, had to resign over, which was suggesting that maybe we could just swap these people. That would, No, no, no. We, 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 we couldn't possibly. We have rule of law here. Ultimately, that is what happened. And the story of that is, is one of disrespect that we are upon and we can be leveraged in this way. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. All right. Finally, in terms of recent news revelations, tell me if this is connected and, and, and tell me what actually happened here. So much is going on completely off of, the, of these uh, issues in the news right now that I think Canadians can be forgiven for taking their eye off the ball. But we also recently uh, received news that uh, former Mountie Cameron Ortiz was convicted of espionage. He was ab- about to leak information to Beijing. Can, can you give us the summary version of that case? There's two stories, really. He was convicted on some charges of uh, leaking RCMP and uh, our allies' plans to target global money laundering and terror financing networks that are uh, really essentially, as we heard in the trial, these are the networks that are laundering drug money around the world and essentially funding you know, bombs for Hamas and Hezbollah. But Ortis, the traitor, the convicted traitor, 
for some reason, apparently personal financial benefit was leaking plans to target the network. These are high-level Iranian criminal operatives that are terror financing, laundering money, and he gave away plans. So what we heard was he got put away on six charges essentially because he damaged the RCMP irreparably. He alerted these global terrorists and money launderers that they're being targeted. He helped their networks in that way. And uh, that's why he's gone. So he faces sentencing in a few weeks. But the very key thing here is there is what I believe is a bigger intelligence compromise of documents that it looks like relate to China and possibly an ongoing national security investigation that Ortis was planning, according to the Crown, to leak likely to uh, a few Chinese diplomats in Ottawa in September 2019 when he was arrested. This causes massive alarm in the Five Eyes, what the RCMP found in their search, but these charges of more intelligence-related, less organized crime and terror financing-related, this evidence never made it to court because a judge decided uh, if this information came out in court, it would be against Canada's national interest. They dropped the charges against him just, just to avoid having this stuff come out in court? Yes. A judge said in, in October 2022, for this other set of information, for Mr. Ortis to defend himself, this information must be revealed at least to a certain extent in court. And the judge said, I think that Canada's national interests are more important than Ortis facing this very serious charge. Therefore, that information will never see the light of day. Oh, wow. Let me recap that because that is extraordinary. So we have a, you call him a traitor. He's a convicted crooked Mountie. Uh, apparently for financial gain, this guy was handing over information that he had because he's a cop, because he's a, a federal cop in Canada. And now he's convicted, but only of specific charges. But he was also originally charged with leaking information to Beijing, with compromising Canadian national security to Beijing. And they dropped those charges because in order to pursue them, give him a chance to defend himself, the public would find out what's going on. That's our understanding of this one? That's our understanding. And as I talk to you, Jesse, I'm editing a story that says the RCMP feared that a foreign entity could exfiltrate or take Cameron Ortis out of Canada's legal jurisdiction. And uh, others have found evidence that I'm reporting on as well. They reported it first, credit where credit is due, that China's embassy is the fear here. What do all of these stories tell us when put together? What it's saying is that Canada is a G7 nation, a nation that has the potential really possibly to be something like a superpower, a real player of good on the global stage, but due to uh, ill-advised decisions and corruption, we have become a playground for the worst criminal and uh, terror espionage networks in the world that are using Canada as a basing point for operations. And I just reported recently that a, a US-based NGO that's uh, full of intelligence experts from the United States and works with Canadian experts says that uh, our laws and institutions are being overrun by foreign crime and uh, intelligence espionage, bad actors, because we don't have the capacity. And what this means is Canada has become a global fentanyl production shipping and uh, exporting state like China. We had this Iranian uh, currencies trader that was cited in 3.5 billion in FinTrack anti-money laundering reports 
in about 15 years. This is one currency shop, a guy that's using Canada to run money for allegedly Hezbollah and doing, you know, count, uh, proliferation of weapons technology for Iran using Canada. So that's the story here. Canada uh, is now becoming a questionable actor to our allies because of this activity. And the Ortis case, I would say, uh, is the most uh, fulsome evidence of, of the big problems we have that are starting to you know, come to the surface irrefutably. I'm not just hearing this from you. The Financial Times just had this long piece, How Geopolitics Caught Up with Canada, and it tells a similar story about what we were, which was just sort of this really insulated, lucky nation that was just surrounded by water on three sides, and then America to the south. We were fireproof. And in terms of our international presence, we could rely on this allyship with America. We could either back them up or we could be – we fancied ourselves at certain times their moral conscience. Yes. It, it was, it yeah. was low risk, low stakes for us to say, well, I'm not so sure about Vietnam, not so sure about Iraq. We had this sense of ourselves as the blue helmets who were doing good around the world. And this Financial Times story basically describes how that has completely collapsed and that whatever geographic – security or insulation we had is being destroyed maybe by the internet. Um, and I don't know, it gets a little bit squinchy because a lot of it has to do with diaspora communities and the influence that foreign governments have over what happens in Canada because of these diaspora communities. They're intimidating Canadians who belong to these communities, assassinating Canadians who belong to these communities. And the story that emerges from your reporting and in the Times is not necessarily one of Canadian government corruption, but just like completely asleep at the wheel, I guess, is is the, the general sense that uh, we're just a playground and it's known and you can get away with whatever you want here and, and, and they're having a field day and they don't respect us at all and uh, our sovereignty is not respected. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I, the points I'd add is squinchy, I agree. You know, I've been at the front end of, of, of showing how diaspora communities are the very first to be targeted and victimized, although there's some very brave people fighting back. Canada hasn't had their back. We see that in the story we talk about, about uh, Trudeau stopping a CSIS intervention in Vancouver of the targeting of the Sikh community. We see that since 2015, Trudeau government has been warned of these Chinese police stations. So the squinchiness is um, you can get into accusations of racism for pointing to foreign hostile states that are attacking our citizens in Canada. But the, the real issue here, the corruption issue is Canada has turned a blind eye to Iranian guard tycoons, to CCP organized crime, operatives that are working with the uh, the PLA or the Ministry of Public Security, our officials in Canada, some of our business leaders are benefiting from the corruption of allowing people, maybe they thought that, you know, these people were just here to, you know, buy wineries in BC, but no, these people that I'm concerned with, not because of where they're from, but because of their activity, are involved in the strategic corruption of Canadian institutions and uh, politicians. And that's the real problem here. Can I ask you a challenging question about your reporting? You can. I'll give you my best answer and not get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> the narrative that we have from the reporters who've been breaking stories on this is that they're getting their information. Sam, you're getting your information from leakers, 
at CSIS, who we know very little about. The Globe and Mail published a piece, I suppose, written by one of them in which the leakers said, this is why I'm doing it. Uh, and uh, to paraphrase, it's out of noble patriotic uh, motivations. The Trudeau's not doing enough. The government's not doing enough. We've been warning them and warning them. And they don't heed our warnings. So we are leaking this to put pressure on on the government. And I guess that's possible. And a lot of the, a lot of the stories that come out certainly back that up that uh, Trudeau was warned about this network that India was setting up and didn't do anything. Uh, you know, th- th- that's one narrative. But I'm aware from the history of national security reporting in Canada that there's another narrative that I think has some credibility, which is that law enforcement and the intelligence community are constantly taking the position that the federal government is not giving them enough money, not giving them enough power, and not doing enough about all of the threats, threats, threats. They're in the threat business. If we're, if we're not threatened, they're out of work. And they have another motivation to scare the hell out of Canadians about this stuff. And given the fact that they're leaving you in a position where if I ask you, I'm not going to be so rude as to ask you about your sources, but like, I don't know how many of them you have or who they are. And it leaves us in a position of trying to understand this stuff with really hazy, broad strokes. We can't really say who did what to who and where and when. But we have to take your word on it that you have sources that know what they're talking about and that we have to take their word on it even though we don't know who they are. And so a lot of the reporting is met with skepticism and it can it can kind of take on the shape of kind of a phantom menace. We don't really know what's going on, but it sounds very dangerous and scary. And on the extreme end of it, I know you've been accused of you know, anti-Chinese racism. I want to know what's going on. We don't get the kind of information that just came out from American media when it comes to the assassination that took place there. We don't get the names. We don't know exactly what's happening. So it's hard to know which of those narratives to, to, to put the most credibility in. Yeah, no, I mean, that's an extremely fair question. And a couple points. We don't have the names and we don't have the evidence in Canada because we don't have those unsealed indictments leaning on the fox hunt. What is the fox hunt? Yeah. The fox hunt is Beijing's covert operations of uh, using uh, organized crime uh, actors, using people from their security apparatus, either sent in under false you know, business visas or tourist visas into the United States or Canada to do these covert operations targeting uh, American Chinese people or Canadian Chinese people. They could be dissidents, etc. In America, the fox hunt, we now have cases that are proven by a jury in New York City, convicted some people used as proxies by the Chinese state to target fellow American citizens. These citizens said, we're gonna protect you, you're on our soil. Okay, so in Canada, I'm asking for some credibility that people in the intelligence community, not just Canada, have been reaching out to me saying that Canada is a playground for hostile state activity. It happens to be from Iran, China, and Russia, most seriously, also India, as we're finding out. And they have trusted me and said, you're not only going to tell the truth, you're going to protect my identity. So Jesse, I'm going to tell you something right here. You know, I do an assessment of the people and why they come forward. If I think they have, you know, personal career motivations, you know, they didn't get that promotion uh, from someone in the Canadian government and they're pissed off and that's why they're leaking. I'm not going to publish. Remember, I was called as a Canadian citizen to testify this summer about what I knew about the targeting of uh, politicians in Canada by China. 
This is a very important issue. I answered the call of duty. I went and testified. And a couple of days later, RCMP national security investigators knocked on my door, uh, badge in hand, and they gave me what's called an official legally authorized duty to warn that they had come across concerning activity about something that could happen to me because of my reporting on China. Hold on. What does that mean? That they have a duty to warn you that who might harm you? I'm just the latest reporter in Canada that has essentially been told you're reporting about uh, what China's doing in Canada could expose you to some dangerous things. Take some precautions. Sam, since leaving Global, you've done something pretty unique. In fact, I think it's just singularly unique. I think it's the only dedicated news organization in Canada that that is exclusively about reporting on this issue. So far, it's a one-man shop that is dedicated, laser-focused on foreign interference in Canada, and you are providing this service to paying readers and listeners. How is that going? First of all, it's going well. I'm uh, up approaching 6,000 subscribers on the email list now. That's within six months of operation. And you're right that it is hyper-focused on this foreign interference story. And I just think that's because I've judged that I'm a leader on this and it's so important and so timely and relevant that we have this interference inquiry, which I have reported has pretty major holes in it by just focusing on the 2019 and 2021 federal elections, whereas I've reported uh, municipal races, party leadership contests, provincial races are being allegedly interfered with. So I have to keep reporting and say, you know, hey, there's a lot more going on and it's going well. It seems like you got like a tiger by the tail here, and this is the everything story, because as we learn more and more about it, and as it's sort of independently verified by other news reports and court proceedings, it feels like the everything story that, that yes, it's political, but it also has to do with crime. It also has to do with drugs. It also has to do with international terrorism, and it also has to do with Canada's economy and how bound up it is in the real estate uh, business. Sam, thanks for talking with me about it. Thank you. That's your Canada land. Listen, we're all about tradition, and our annual holiday tradition is to tell stories about journalists and media workers who were forced to work over Christmas. It's an annual tradition called Christmas in the Newsroom, and every year we add new anecdotes. Do you have one? Send it to me at jesse at canadaland.com. You can email me there for anything you want me to read. I read them all. If you value this podcast, Please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows without ads. You will get early releases and bonus content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter. You'll get discounts on our excellent merch. You'll get invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. But more than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's growing journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible for everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Our website is canadaland.com where you can sign up for a newsletter that will tell you everything we publish each week. In case you don't catch all of our podcasts, the newsletter is invaluable. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by so-called syndications handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. 
You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.